Kira, you're with At A Loss, a series of conversations curated by me, Timothy Giles. I'm a funeral celebrant. One of the great joys of that role is that I get to meet people who are able to live full lives even when death makes its presence felt. And that's the point in these series of conversations. Probably, I would say, one of the most abrupt, impactful and unsettling ways that death makes itself felt in life is with suicide. A friend of mine and and, and, and a work colleague over a number of years um, joins me in this conversation. And Mark Wilson, welcome. Thank you for being available. Kia ora, Giles. Thank you. Personal experience, lived experience, and then also community experience over the last few years you've you've had as a result of, of suicide. And look, the first thing is, I feel anxious even talking about it because I know there are a whole lot of concerns and issues around suicide and suicide as as, as, as a trigger. How do we begin a conversation about suicide and know that we're being appropriate and safe? Oh, you ask the big questions first <laughs> up, why don't you? Um, suicide, I think, generally has one of the biggest taboo surrounding it. Basically, it's um, there's historically, I guess there's been the religious element of it. There's a lot of cultural issues that go with suicide and somebody who takes their life and the stigma and shame that goes with that. So I think um, that is an ongoing issue and the people I come into touch with now who are suicide bereaved face that on a, a daily basis. What I like to say to people who ask me the question you have just asked me is connect with that person. When you hear that somebody has a suicide loss, acknowledge that loss. And it might be as simple as saying, I don't know what to say to you, but I am sorry for your loss. Acknowledgement is the key thing and um, follow through as well. You know, often people will say, I'm sorry for your loss. Let me know if you want to do something. And that's really hard when you're grieving to say, oh, well, actually, I would like you to do this, this, this and this. I think what I always say to people is do something and offer your help. Um, Maybe go to that person's support person or somebody within their family and say, hey, I can help clean the car, wash the windows, mow the lawns, do something. Because by doing something makes you feel good, but equally it makes that person grieving feels loved and connected to. And that should happen immediately because the longer you leave it, the harder it is to say something. So... um, do it as soon as you can, and it might be you want to do it in an email. It might be that you just want to drop a letter into the letterbox. It may be that you want to call them. It may be that you want to see them in person. Do it. It doesn't matter how you do it, but just do it. Can I talk to you um, then about how come you have this clarity and expertise around it? Now, you, you, you know, you, you had a impact with suicide in your life and you've now become part of a support group you've founded a support group well it goes back um my wife died by suicide 14 years ago 2006 and prior to her suicide death both her sisters died by suicide 
And so I guess my introduction to suicide, the only grief I really know, to be honest, um, was 1998. And um, we lived with a sister dying and then four years later, another sister dying. So I lost two sister-in-laws and um, we found one of them. So there's, you know, there's a lot of trauma associated with that. And, um, and then sadly, my wife Zita died by suicide. So I've been, I've got that lived experience of it. And then I kind of realized I have, I'm fascinated by people's grief and loss and Oh, Particularly, you've it, come to the right I know place. It's, it's the thing. I think it's just a natural human experience is to grieve. You know, when you love somebody, of course, grief goes with that. Unfortunately, and obviously, um, Zita had been deeply impacted by losing her sisters, and she founded. We moved to Auckland from Wellington in 1999, and she helped create this support group called Solace Support Group, and I didn't really go to it or have much to do with it. I supported her and her support for a peer support group. Um, and I guess a, a year or so before Zita took her life, um, you know, she was struggling, but she still wanted to have this connection with this group. And I began to help her and support her in that and set up the meeting. And, and then she died. And then I realized that I could be involved in this group as well. And I became a regular attendee and subsequently kind of took calls from people and have become the facilitator of our monthly meetings. So over the years, I've probably spoken to hundreds of people who have lost a loved one to suicide. And it's an honor to hear their story. And for many people, it's the only time they've ever been able to tell somebody about suicide. And they feel safe telling somebody who knows what that is like. I don't have the answer, but what I have is a bit of time and a connection. And I allow myself that time and connection. And they might ring me during the day and I say, hey, I can't talk to you now, but I'll call you in the evening. I'll sit there, ring them, and we'll talk. Some people it might only be a 10-minute conversation. Other people, it might be a couple of hours. But you're, you're married. You're a father of Two, right? Yeah. That's quite a time commitment. It is. And I'm really fortunate to have an amazing wife who knows that this is important to me to do this. And I guess it's partly my healing. Here I am, what's that, 14 years on. Um, I know, I guess I'm possibly modeling a little bit that you can live a life following a suicide death. And um, I'm fortunate I'm able to, I was able to meet somebody new. We were able to have a family and that's amazing. And I'm not saying that everyone will have that same experience, but I've had that and I never, ever imagined I would have that when Zeta died. I thought my world had ended as well. And, but here I am now, 14 years on, living a rich, full life, amazing life and but equally, I just give time to a community thing that means a lot to me. I learn a lot, and hopefully I'm able to provide some help and um, support. Because not everyone has the luxury of you know, having people around them who understand. 
I do. Your world did end. It did, yeah, because um, Zeta was six months pregnant when she took her life, and we had clearly had a path of what was going to happen in our life, and suddenly that was gone. It was just, just in an instant, it was over. So and you, you said, I felt like my world ended. That world did end. Mm. And it was actually really good when I realised that, and then I thought, well, that world ended, but I can create a new world. And it was like having an easel with a blank canvas. And I've had that image metaphor there in, in front of me. And I went, aha, that means I can do... I gave myself permission to live my life differently because I couldn't do it with Zeta. She wasn't there physically anymore. Um, and I needed to do this. I was 42 at the time, um, and I just went, I've got to do this. I've got to do something different. And it was hard work. I'm not saying it's easy. It wasn't like I got up and went, oh, that's that, and moved on. You know, Clearly, it, I live with that loss. I live with Zeta's loss constantly. Yeah, you, you just said, and this, this interests me, Mark, you said, I couldn't live it with Zeta. He said... She wasn't there physically. Now, in that, I'm hearing that Zeta was still there. Yeah, and she's still present. Here. Yeah. And she had said to me a while before, I can't remember when before she died, but she said to me one day, I know you'll get by without me. And I was like, no, 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 we'll be. Actually, I know where we were. We're at St. Luke's. We're at um, the food hall and... We were having dinner one night and she just said, I know you'll get by without me. And I said, no, 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 we'll be like that old couple over there who are 80 or 90 years old, you know, eating fried rice or whatever. And um, and she went, no, I can't imagine that. And, of course, it's one of the many things you think about, those conversations when somebody takes their life and the meaning suddenly takes a whole different thing. But in a way, her saying, I will get by, gave me permission to kind of prove to her that I will. And I have. And um, and I kind of loved the whole thing around the continuing bond you can have with somebody who's no longer here. They're, um, they're not here physically, but, man, they she's a part of my life. And I only got married in March this year. Um, Which is know. very naughty because your, your, your girls are yes, quite big, Yes, very they? naughty. They are. They're nine and six. And um, But in our wedding, Annabelle, my wife... Um, we agreed that we needed to have, Zeta needed to be part of that ceremony because a lot of what happened to me created this new relationship as well. You know, so we um, lit candles to the dead. We mentioned her by name. Annabelle mentioned Zeta's name in her speech. Um, I had cousins of Zeta's and other important family members there as part of my new life and I think it's so important to do that and I was fortunate I had a really strong relationship with her family and I know sometimes with a suicide death there's a lot of complications and that's not always a given um, but I was fortunate enough to have that and that was all part of what helped me get through but so Zeta's a part of my world um, I'm so lucky to have an amazing partner who 
understands that and gets that and respects that. You you just said something which interests me. That experience of suicide, the loss, the grief, the hurt, the helped create this relationship you have now? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at it brutally, I, mean, I would not have met Annabelle if it hadn't been for Zita's death. Um, I met somebody and I remember when I sort of felt that buzz of excitement of I actually like her more than a friend, you know? And I remember running off to my grief counsellor and saying, well, I've met somebody and I think I like her and my counsellor going, Mark, that's shocking, you know? And I went, what? And he went, what else did you think would happen? You've loved somebody you can love somebody again. It doesn't mean that you only have one go at love. You can have, you can meet somebody else. Give yourself permission to meet somebody. And that's a really hard thing for when you're in grief, because grief has a, has a, my, in my opinion, has a, it can pull you in. There's something comforting being wrapped up in that cotton wool of grief and loss and, and it, it's not always a good thing for well, you. Well, grief and loss are confusing, right? Mm. They bring lots of confusion with them, and you have to reorient a, a, around a loss. Things have changed. And grief can be comforting because it's like, oh, I'm in grief, therefore I know where I am, and, yeah. and I'll stay here, thanks. Because that's what we're looking for. We're looking for another metaphor. Is like we're riding the rapids of life when you're grieving, and but what you want is to be tethered to, you know, you ride the rapids, but know that you're still in control. But grief kind of keeps you in this place that um, I think is, so, is, is a part of healing to me. You know, I look at my grief now quite differently to how it was in the hours and days and weeks and months and early years after Zeta died. I will always be grieving, but um, that's okay. I can, I can be happy and live a life as well. They coexist, I guess, is the thing. And it's allowing that to coexist, I guess, is the, um, is the hard thing. Because, I, you know, I liked feeling sad for a while. You know, I really liked it. I needed it. I wanted to cry. I wanted to feel like, boo-hoo, this is the worst thing. Which it is. Yeah, because it was the worst thing. Nobody knows what it's like. You're the only one that knows what it's like. You know, I was fortunate. I had amazing friends, special people in my world that helped me along. Because what a loss. You've lost, often when I listen to people in grief, there's the experience and the pain and the loss of connection with other, with the other. But there's also the loss of identity. And you mm. lost the identity, right, as as partner, as um, as as friend, as lifelong friend, um, and also as father, mm. all in one. Mm. Yeah, it was. It's quite, I guess it, and that scared a lot of people, I think, too. Um, it's quite overwhelming when you kind of think about it, but maybe I tried not to overthink that because I thought that just was too much too much. And her mother was still alive. So I had, um, 
a mother who's lost three, three daughters. A mother who lost three daughters. And, um, you know, it was hard because I think often with suicide death, there's a lot of anger and frustration because you're trying to find a reason. And, um, and I tried not to be angry because I thought, how could I be angry with a mother who's lost her three children? Um, that's not good for me. And it's certainly not fair for her, for her who's lost everything. Um, so we ended up having a really good relationship. And I remember probably the hardest phone call I made after having to tell her that Zeta was gone was telling her that I had met somebody else. And I remember we just cried and cried and cried. And there were tears of joy, you know, because she was like, yes, you've met somebody. Isn't was that cool? Really? Yeah, she was so happy for me. So happy for me. And she, you know, I used to take my girls to go visit her. She lived in the country on a farm. And... Um, but I'd go visit with them, and they were like the grandkids she never had. So, um, and two weeks before she died, she sent my daughter a fifth birthday card. You know, she was still able to do that, and she had decided that she wanted to die peacefully. It was the most incredible thing, quite a juxtaposition in a way. She died peacefully, gracefully, with no none of the drama of her daughters, but. All she knew is that she wanted to be with them, and that's a really powerful thing. And um, and I supported her in her final days, and I w did a eulogy at her funeral, and um, and kind of go. She was a strong woman who had the most terrible thing happen to her, but it was still hard not to initially point some blame at her. And then I went, oh. Don't fall into that trap of finding somebody to blame because that, in my mind, just leads to even more anger and frustration and pain and, and it, it stretches out your grief, I think. Okay, so I get... But, and this is just my experience, you know, and I know it's not like that for everyone because I hear so many different stories, you know, from the phone conversations I have and during the support group meetings, I hear... You know, it, we all have had different relationships. With... So can I ask you then, if if your conversation is to say, when someone I know or I love and care about is touched by suicide, right, you're telling me to connect with them and acknowledge it. Yes. And then to yes. say, in the beginning, in the very early days, what can I do? Wash the car, bring some food, walk the dog, right? whatever, yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. Okay, do that. But then in the months later, like if I'm a colleague and it's return to work, right? If I'm a, you know, we're in some club or, 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 or sporting organisation together and we might see each other only in winter and they return and, and it might be some time later. Yep. Yep. Do I still name it? Yes. Mention the name of their loved one. Don't ignore the name. Don't just say... Zeta would have loved that. Some of the best messages I had after Zeta died were friends saying, I've just got the old cookbook that Zeta gave me and I'm just making some marmalade from that. That was the best thing ever, to know that her legacy and memory lived on and other people and the, and the way that she particularly touched them. So um, it's really hard to go up to see somebody because they may be laughing or whatever, you don't know what somebody's thinking inside to suddenly burst in on that and say something. But I think it's most important too, because what I hear gets so many people is that in the workplace, nobody mentions 
the person, their loved one, at all. It's like, it's a topic that you never talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you get new colleagues who turn up and they don't necessarily know your backstory. Um, Do then, they need to? Do we need to talk about your backstory? When oh, you no. I think, I think you should be the one that tells okay. the story, I think. Um, you know, because with suicide comes a lot of storytelling and rumour and speculation and all those sort of things that aren't helpful. Um, but it's, it just, it's quite a simple thing. We overcomplicate, we overthink it. It just needs to be acknowledgement. Right. I'm sorry, Mark, that about Zeta. And um, I was thinking about Zeta today, whatever, you know, um, depending on the relationship you have with that person. And that's so important because even this year, here we are 14 years later, I bumped into somebody at the airport who was an old friend of Zeta's and I hadn't seen for a decade, so. And and we just had a good old yarn, a laugh, remembering stories. Fantastic. It's fantastic. That's kind of what it is because so many times I hear people say to me, um, oh, they seem to be okay now. You know, they're, they're fine. They don't talk about, you know, Zeta anymore. Um, and I'm going, they're not okay. And the, in their head, they're talking about Zeta or they're crying on the way to work. They're, they're, they're doing their grieving privately. privately. Um, and they'll mention them. Somehow, I, I, you know, I, find the context for I it. I spent recently the, a Facebook group that, that involved, you know, I was a bartender for years and... And I'd heard that my my closest friend, who took her own life a, a long time ago now, you know, twin, well, not quite 20, but nearly 20 years ago. But I heard that there was a photo of her posted. I spent an hour and a half hunting for that photo of her, you know, and and the joy of connecting with the man who posted it, who I don't know. And that was my best friend, you know. Um, and I was so excited, actually. And then I bumped into another mutual friend of ours and we talked about it. And he's like, oh, was there that photo? Oh, and... Brilliant. That's... He thinks about her all the time. Yeah. And this is, it's nearly 20 years later. Mm. Yeah, that's normal. It's healthy. Okay. How, why is it healthy? What, how's it oh, healthy? I think it's healthy because you're, that person existed in the here and now, but they still exist. Just because they're not here doesn't mean to say they, um, they still exist. They exist in people's memories and and in particular, if it's a parent, and um, and the pain of a parent as well, losing is, a child, losing a child to suicide is, um, you know, it's just heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And gosh, I can only imagine, and, and you must have had this too, the self-recrimination, the questioning, the self-interrogation yeah. of if I'd, if I could turn back time, if mm. I could have today again. How do you get through that? Because that that can't help. I think it does help, actually, to prove you wrong. Um, this is just my theory. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just thinking you need to ask these questions of yourself and maybe you'll find an answer, maybe you won't. But I think I think it's just part of the grieving process. You need to, and particularly with a suicide death, death, you need to, if only I hadn't gone out that night, if only I had um, said to her, I will stay here to be with you. Because in my case, I had gone out that night. We had agreed a plan to keep herself safe. I knew that she wasn't well, but 
she said to me, no, go out, do what you need to do. I'll be fine because I'm going to do X, Y, Z, you know, ring a mother, ring a special friend. She did none of that. Um, but we, every other time she had said that, she had done that. So I trusted her and believed her and, and, and that's the cruelty of it. You know, she had a number of carers. She had... Um, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a obstetrician, because she and she had a naturopath, and she'd found a faith as well. So she had, and she had me. So she, in theory, she had a lot of foundation stones for keeping her in the here and now. And she had a plan that had been practiced and used successfully. Yeah, and that's the complex thing about suicidality and suicidal thinking, from what I know, is. Um, in an instant, it can be that normal stuff kind of can disappear, and um, that and people who are like that can be drawn, or it can be quite a long process to that point. So there's no one way, I guess. Solar as a support group, or and and with someone when this conversation comes up. <laughs> We're coming to the end of our our conversation together, and and um, how do I provide support? And if I need support, how do I ask for it? That's really hard because you don't really know what there is out there. Um, I think the most important thing is if you've got somebody, at least one person that you talk to that you trust that is there for you and doesn't have the answers for you, they're just there to listen. Because what you've got to do as a support person is listen, actively listen. Don't place any judgment on what happened. Um, just hear the story, and it might be on rotate, heavy rotate for a very long time, because that's what we need to do when we grieve. And I think with a suicide death, we need to do it a lot more. It's like a jigsaw puzzle and you're trying to find all the pieces to it to complete it. And in my mind, you never complete that um, jigsaw puzzle because there's still the, a couple of pieces missing about really what was happening, why did that happen then. And um, I think peer support is really good um, for some people and at a particular point in your loss, I think... If you can, getting some good quality, um, affordable counselling, and that's a whole other issue. And um, so you need professional and personal. And then you have to really look after yourself. And there's a lot of well-being stuff. You know, do something as simple as going for walks, um, embracing whatever you can, whenever you can, for that moment and go, there is joy in my life and just find that little sliver of joy because it will return. And I think that's the key thing to it. And because you're having joy doesn't mean to say that you're going to lose any connection to your loved one. In many ways, that makes that connection stronger and healthier, I think. How wonderful to see you on this, on this other side, Mark. Thank you so much coming in on this conversation. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.